Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 5, Episode 11, brought to you by Lifetree at PainRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. My name is Rick. I am coronavirus-free at this moment. I hope it stays that way. Wow, the world is collapsing in on us, isn't it? All the things we thought were default settings and norms and even... Uh, uh, ruts that would go on forever, they are not. The norm can change quickly. What a good reminder that is for us that as much as we think we are in control, um, sometimes history pulls the rug out from underneath your feet, and you realize all over again how dependent we are. Here's my little rabbit trail to start off the podcast today. I was walking down the hallway here at work, and one of my uh, co-workers, another leader in the organization, had an interesting question he was talking about in his Bible study group at home. Uh, they were talking about Psalm 23 and the shepherd leading his flock by uh, in peace by the quiet waters, and, and uh, they got into a discussion about sheep and shepherd and the relationship between the two, and why is it that sheep need to be dependent on their shepherd? Why is, why is the situation like that? Why, why is there so much of this dependence that is embedded into the expected relationship we have with Jesus? And he was asking me about this because he's heard me talk about dependence a lot, and he was kind of pushing back against it, like, uh, what, why, do, why does it have to be that way? Why do you have to be in a dependent posture with Jesus? And I said, well, if you think about sheep and how stupid they are, um, if, you, uh, if a sheep decides, you know... I don't need my frickin' shepherd anymore. I can figure this out on my own. Well, what sheep do when they do that is they wander off and they get caught in the brambles and they don't recognize there's a pack of wolves just over the crest of the hill. All of these things the shepherd would be aware of and be looking out for them. But when the sheep just says, I don't need anyone else but me, that's when they're at their most vulnerable, their most dangerous. And dependence then is really our our safety net. It's our it's what we were created to be is dependent. And when something like the COVID-19 virus it turns into a pandemic, we realize how the fundamental truth of our dependence, that this illusion of control that we've exercised um, really has, ju- has just been that. It's an illusion. And uh, in, a, in a way, uh, uh, we're in a good place because what Jesus does, what he can't stop doing, what he's doing all the time, is he takes ugly things and makes them into beautiful things. So whatever's happening right now, whatever Jesus is artistically weaving into our story, he is trying to take the ugly of our life right now, and there's lots of ways you could describe that ugly, so many things changing so quickly, so many disappointments, so many dreams and hopes crushed, uh, so much fear and anxiety. He's he's taken all that, and he looks at that as raw material and says, what beautiful thing can I make out of all this? So I believe that's what he's doing right now, and we just need to look for it. We, Jesus, where are, where are you bringing beauty, and how can I be a part of that? 
So there you go, a, a nice little rabbit trail to start off this episode. My name again is Rick. I'm author of The God Who Fights For You, released last year, and Spiritual Grit the year before that, and the book The Jesus-Centered Life, which is sort of the foundation stone of this podcast. And I'm the editor of The Jesus-Centered Bible, which we're going to dip into a little bit today. Uh, uh, I'm excited about that. And um, I've been mentioning that I just uh, finished writing The Jesus-Centered Daily, a 365-day devotional. That's coming up in the fall. I, I had to give a, the a kind of a sampler, a designed sampler. So our designers uh, took uh, ge- my January devotions and designed half of them into a sampler that um, that we can show to to you know booksellers like Barnes and Noble and others to show them ahead of time uh, that what this is going to be. And so I sent out that little sampler to about a dozen of my uh, quote-unquote influencing friends around the world, people that uh, are potential endorsers for the Jesus Center Daily. And one of my friends, <laughs> so funny, his name is Conrad Gempf. He's a, he's a uh, with the London School of Theology, he's a delightful author and uh, upending kind of person. He's the closest to C.S. Lewis I've ever met in my life. He's just an upending person who loves Jesus with all his heart. And he's at the London School of Theology, so he's really smart. And I sent him this sampler, and he uh, had some time, so he read through it and sent back his endorsement uh, like the next day. And it was so funny, he gave me like six different endorsements we could use, because I guess he was on a creative streak or something. But but most of what he was reacting to is that there's a feature in these devotions, there's a there's a scripture passage, obviously, and there's a devotional thought about Jesus, and then there's three little things at the bottom, four little things at the bottom. One is a, a question, a, a wonder question to ask yourself about that, the devotional thought. Another is something Jesus said. Another is a prayer. But the fourth thing is something to do, and they're all... These, these somethings to do are all tied to one of our five senses, and they're creative experiences. This is kind of what I do. I create creative experiences that are immersive and, and, and uh, different and unexpected. <laughs> but Conrad had never seen these things, these kind of things before, so most of his endorsements had, were commenting somehow on the crazy experiences that I concocted for each one of these. So it just made me laugh out loud. One of the things he said is, get ready. Within the first two weeks of these devotions, you'll be um, licking salt and pepper and drinking lemon juice at the same time. <laughs> so funny. So yeah, you actually do that in one of these one of these experiences. So uh, I'm looking forward to later in the year, we'll talk more about the Jesus Center Daily and a new story story Bible for adults that we have coming out in uh, early September called Eyewitness, a stunning, I, I think what you would call a coffee table book, uh, the most stunning uh, illustrations I think I've ever seen uh, tied to Bible stories told from a first-person perspective, each one of these Bible stories. So it's a storybook, but it's for adults, and the stories are told from the character in the story's perspective and told in an adult way. So we'll be talking more about that later this year as well. So today is the seventh episode of this new series that I'm calling Foundations. We're going to explore foundational truths that are connected to Jesus and to his mission in our lives. That's what we're doing. And today we're going to explore in the beginning. 
Can there be anything more foundational than in the beginning? What happened in the beginning? And how is Jesus involved in the beginning? So we, we in general, we live in the tension between the scientific and the spiritual. Sometimes we treat the two things as mutually exclusive. Sometimes scientists will say, like a very prominent scientist will say, it's not possible to be a scientist and also a person of faith because faith is basically unprovable and therefore superstitious. Um, so there, there's this sort of concocted tension. The only problem with that argument is that there are a lot of physicists who are followers of Jesus. Um, and physicists, as you know, are, are those scientists who study the things we can't see. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like faith. But physicists, somehow, in studying the things we can't see and the forces at work in the universe and how all of this fits together and works, they, they sort of get uh, driven into a corner <laughs> where, where uh, th- their b- belief in God is not that much of a leap for them. So... I disagree that there is a mutual exclusivity between the science, the scientific and the spiritual. I don't think that's true, but we often think of it that way, especially when it comes to creation and what 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 how the world was created, how we were created, is evolution true? Is the earth really old or is it newer than that? There's controversies surrounding all of this that um rage underneath the surface in our culture. And one of the young people in my small group, um, when I asked uh, the the teenagers in this group to write down some of their questions that are about fundamental things, foundational things, here's, here's a question that he wrote. Um, there are many different perspectives on creation, old earth, new earth, that sort of thing. What ways do we comprehend or understand the Bible, and is it right? So this question didn't just come out of... It's not a rhetorical question for him. He is in conversation sometimes with friends and people at school that, that uh, you know, there's tension and disagreement between these things. And so uh, he sometimes feels at a loss to know how to respond to the pushback he gets sometimes. So his question is... Let me read it one more time. There are many different perspectives on creation. What ways do we comprehend or understand the Bible? And is it right? And he's really referencing the way the Bible talks about creation. And the, uh, the, that thing at the end, the question about, uh, is it right? Is the Bible right? If you think about, well, what do we mean when we say that is the Bible right? I think what we mean is, is, is it historically accurate? Are the things that it records metaphoric? Or are they literal? Um, was the world actually created in six days, and on the seventh day God rested? Were those actually... 24-hour days? Is, it, is, the, uh, is the earth as new as the Bible seems to indicate that it is, or is it as old as science seems to tell us it is? These tensions around this cause us to wonder, is the Bible really right about some of these details? So I thought it'd be interesting for us to explore this foundational issue of creation, the Bible's account of it, Jesus's role in it, really, uh, more specifically. Um, And I want to explore this through the lens of the heart more than the lens of the head. When it comes to things like this, we almost exclusively use the lens of the head. We we want hard facts and scientific proofs and apologetic proofs about this so that we can win an argument. And um, 
I had a friend just the other day uh, look me square in the eye and say, I don't think anyone has ever been argued into the kingdom of God. We think that this is the pathway forward, that, that overcoming someone's head resistance is our path forward to uh, introducing them to a relationship with Jesus, but that's almost never the case. So let's explore these questions through the lens of the heart, more than the lens of the head. You'll, you'll see what I mean as we, we get further along here. So I thought it'd be interesting. I went back and I read um, one of the intro essays in the Jesus-Centered Bible, this one for Genesis, the book of Genesis. This project five years ago when I was putting together the Jesus-Centered Bible with our team, um, one of our ideas was to recruit um, uh, authors for each one of the books of the Bible, all 66 of them, who could write a Jesus-centered introduction to each book of the Bible. And so I recruited, I think, 15 different luminaries to write these little one-page essays, all of them designed to surface and highlight and spotlight Jesus in whatever book of the Bible that was. So my friend Bruxy Cavey, who's a pastor of a large megachurch, up in Canada, um, one of his assignments was to write the intro to the book of Genesis. And so I went and read his intro, and it was really captured by it all over again. So I thought I would read you a little portion of his intro essay to the book of Genesis. Here it goes. When I was a kid, I imagined I could travel backward in time, like watching a movie in Fast Rewind. I traveled back before Shakespeare before Christ, before the pyramids, even before humankind walked the earth, I watched creation unfold in reverse, the animals and plants disappearing until the earth was formless and void. And then I went further. Having learned about the Big Bang Theory, I pretended to see it in reverse, watching everything that exists in our material, material universe undone returning to a single point of nothing. In my mind, I was arriving at the beginning of all things. No, more like before the beginning, when there was only God. Well, gang, let's do something here. Um, I love that little on-ramp into Bruxy's introduction. Let's do something. If you're in a place where you can do this, close your eyes. Otherwise, don't close your eyes if you're driving. But I want you to access your imagination now. And just relax, be like a little child again, let yourself play a little bit with your imagination, and let's time travel back just like Bruxy did when he was a kid. So I'm going to lead you through this, and I, I just want you to pay attention to what it's like as we time travel back to the before the beginning, um, when only God existed. I want you to pay attention to what this is like. What do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear as you travel back in time? So let, if you're ready um, and you, you're in a place where you can do this, go ahead and close your eyes. Otherwise, do not crash into the car in front of you, but just put yourself in an imaginative place. If you're, if you're listening, uh, if, you're, if you're distracted, don't be distracted. Just pay attention to your imagination right now as I, as I take you back. So we're going to travel now back in time. And like Bruxy said, I want you to imagine it like you're watching a movie 
in fast rewind, like you're, you're just going to reverse back and you see this played out on the screen in front of you as we travel back. So first we're going to travel back before Shakespeare and then before the birth of Jesus in that stable in Bethlehem. And we're rewinding now past the time of the pyramids. We just passed that. And now we're rewinding even before humankind walked the earth. Now there's no human beings on earth. That's how far back we've gone. And we keep rewinding, watching creation, you know, unfold backwards in in reverse. The animals and plants are now disappearing. They're 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 popping back down under the surface, or they're, they're just wiped off the surface of the earth until the earth is really formless and void. There's nothing there. But now we're going to go further. Uh, now we're going to go back, uh, reverse ourselves back to the beginning of the Great Explosion, the Big Bang, where everything that exists in our material universe, everything we've ever seen in the sky or... Uh, ever uh, expected to be permanent, it's all gone, and it's it's undone, it, and it all reverses back to this single point of nothing, when the only thing that exists, there's, there's nothing there except for the presence of God. So there we are with our little imaginative video reverse exercise. So if I ask you now, what are some words that describe what that point of nothing, that place that we got to there, what are some words that describe what that's like? Uh, I've asked people, I've taken people through this little adventure, and they say things like dark, lonely, cold, scary, those kinds of words. Or it can, you can feel lost, like you're, in, you're, you're just this tiny speck in this vast nothingness. Um, it can feel almost like vertigo. Um, but Bruxy points out in his introduction to the book of Genesis that there is no space at the very beginning of things, since distance itself is a product of the Big Bang. So there's only here and now, he says. And sometimes other people describe how, how lonely they feel because they're surrounded by this nothingness, but Bruxy says, well, who says it's dark or silent? And who says you're alone? He says, uh, if God is like Jesus, and of course we know he is, Jesus said so, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If God is like Jesus, then our imaginations, he says, need an adjustment. At the beginning of all things, you would not be surrounded by darkness, but by light, because God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That's from 1 John chapter 1. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So in the beginning of all things, we'd be in the presence of light. And this light, we would realize, is somehow communicating with us, speaking into our soul. And we'd feel a rush of welcome and embrace, acceptance. Because this God is not only powerful, creator of the universe, he is personal. He is not an it or a thing, 
but he's a being, and he's the source of all being. We'd hear expressions of delight in this place. We'd feel love, but we'd also sense love that is within God, because he is fundamentally communal, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit making up one God. So God is always relating within himself. This is how he intended it to be, that his very existence, his very identity is communal. So he's eternally um, expressing and experiencing love even within himself. We experience it um, as directed toward ourselves in this place that we get to, but we also experience it inside God himself, because God is love. 1 John 4 tells us that. In this place, finally, we would recognize why God speaks about himself in the plural. So in in, uh, Genesis, it says, let us make humans in our image and in our likeness. Let us make humans in our image and in our likeness. We realize here that the Trinity is a, is, a, is a reality that is hard for us to get our minds around. We would realize that Jesus existed before his human birth in that Bethlehem stable, that he's existed since the dawn of time, and that he is primarily the agent through which all of creation came to be. Let me just read you this little portion from John chapter 1. In the beginning, the Word, capitalized with a W, John is referencing Jesus himself here. In the beginning, the Word, or Jesus, already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. We're going to come back to this little account just a bit later. So here at this point, we've reversed back to just the presence of God. What we experience in that place is not dark, it's light. It's not silent, it's bubbling with conversation and um, and encouragement and delight. That's what we would hear. Um, we would sense warmth and love and embrace and acceptance. And we would, we would sense that, that Jesus is the God of all time, uh, even in that time, and that uh, later he would become the God of Abraham, and then after that the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, and now the God of you and the God of me, that he exists throughout time and has always spanned time. And that right now, this same God is personally relating to you and me. So uh, let's now back back up. Let's reverse back to the present day in our little timeline experiment. Um, and here we are in the present day in our reality. Let's explore what creation really means through this heart lens. Let, let's explore it through the lens of closely looking at what Jesus' role in creation was and is today, and what that creation can tell us about his heart. So, uh, you know, we know from the biblical account, biblical account, like I mentioned before, that uh, God created the world in six days and then he rested. 
And during that time, we know he created the heavens and the earth, and he created all those biological plants and those crawling creatures we just reversed out of, and he created the weather patterns, and everything that is created was created, and his final uh, act of creation, his crowning achievement, was to create human beings. So the question is, do we take this literally? Is this what really happened, and how do we know it really happened, and can we trust this account? What is important for us to know about all this? Uh, I think uh, we can get at some of these questions when you start to think about the things that we create ourselves. Like today, maybe you've created a meal, or maybe you baked a cake from scratch. Um, raise your hand if you did that. Uh, put, it, put it back on the steering wheel now. Um, maybe um, you created uh, uh, something that involved words, whether it was an email or a, a work of art or whatever it was. Maybe you created using words. Maybe in your spare time you like to paint and you created something painting. Maybe you created a conversation. Um, maybe the most memorable conversation you had today also um, uh, showed your creativity in conversation, and that's why it was so memorable. Or maybe the other person said or did something in that encounter that was a creative expression that you can't get out of your head. We're creating all the time. Uh, in fact, uh, because we're made in God's image, we can't stop creating. Uh, it was fascinating that uh, a while back I was doing some research for uh, a training I was doing, and I uh, ran across the, this uh, contest that National Public Radio was running. Um, they they had challenged um, young people to create their own podcast, and then they were going to select five of the entries as the winners and highlight, spotlight them on NPR. And the statistics were kind of working against them. Only, um, only uh, 15% of teenagers ever listen to a podcast. But NPR, when they put the word out about this contest— got almost 30,000 responses. I mean, almost 30,000 podcasts were submitted. They were just overwhelmed with the number of young people that submitted a podcast. Why? Because it's one thing to listen to a podcast, but it's quite another to create one. And today's kids like to create things, not just passively consume things. And so they were inundated with all these podcast creations. It goes deep in our, in our nature to create. We are always creating things, even when we don't recognize what we're creating. We most often, when we think about creation, we most often are dismissive of ourselves. Oh, I'm not very good at, I'm not a very good writer, or I'm not a very good artist, or I'm not a very good conversationalist, or, 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 or. We, we tend to be, in a default way, dismissive about our creativity, but we can't help but admit that we are always creating things. Uh, the other night with our the, the young people in my in in my sort of home church that we have every Tuesday night, um, I gave each one of them a lump of clay and asked them to form their lump of clay into an animal no one had ever seen before. And it was fascinating this process because I I I said uh, I want you to think outside of the box and create something that for sure has never been seen by a human being before. You don't have to name it necessarily. I just want you to create it. And I said, I'm going to ask you some questions along the way as you're creating. So uh, throughout their creation process, 
I stopped them about every two minutes or so, every two or three minutes. I think I gave him 10-ish minutes, uh, 10 or 12 minutes to do this. Uh, Every two or three minutes, I stopped them, and I asked him a simple question. Is your clay animal created now? Now, uh, early on, obviously, most most of them said, no, it's not. One person said, yes, it is. And I said, how do you know it's created? How do you know it's finished? And they thought for a minute and said, well, I like way it, the way it looks. And I, and I said, if you had unlimited time, would you continue to create? Would you continue to rework it? And she shook her head and said, well, yeah, I guess I would. So I said, all right, let's keep going. And I did this a couple more times. I just kept asking him, is your clay animal created now? And along the way, as we talked about this, uh, what started to surface was that the creation process was really only bounded by my um, my deadline, that we're, we're going to finish this in 10 or 12 minutes, that the creation process was still ongoing. And when I finally did stop them, many of them weren't finished yet, and they continued to create their animal all through the through the evening. They kept fiddling around with it and changing things, and as a new idea would come, they would add something. The creation process was ongoing, and at the end of this, I asked, well, now that I've stopped this, um, is your creation um, finished now, and can this creation process really ever be finished? And it was fascinating to hear what they talked about, because many of them said, um, you know, even after death, is our growth finished after death, as we go to be directly with Jesus, don't we continue to grow even then, even on that side of death? Don't we? Or, or is death sort of like a snapshot, where whatever, wherever you are in your growth, that's it, <laughs> and that's the that's the person um, that you will be for eternity? Or can you continue to grow past death when you're in the presence of Jesus? And the, the consensus, I think, of the whole group was, yes, of course we must continue to grow when we're in the presence of Jesus. Growth is a part of life. How can you be near Jesus and not continue to grow? Which means, to grow means to be recreated, which means that the creation process is ongoing. There's not a beginning and an end. It's an eternal process of continually being recreated. So when we say... God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Um, We can either say that's literal, or we can say it's metaphoric, or maybe some mixture of the two, that the impression here is not that things were created and then stagnant, because we know uh, from so many times Jesus described himself as the source of all life, and that all things that grow... um, are dependent on that life to grow, and that life itself means growth. We are in this cycle of death to life that is true of his own story and true of the story of creation, that all of these things, these created things, go through this cycle of death to life, and that life is the point, that life, that the cycle of death to life proves to us or plants in us this idea that life will win in the end, that life will overcome death, even in the cycles around us, that when death happens, life is just around the corner still. So um, this, this experience of 
working the clay into an animal no one's ever seen. And I saw some pretty crazy animals, by the way, <laughs> and heard some pretty unbelievable explanations for what those animals can do. But the point is the feeling of creating is more like a river than a pond. It's a flowing stream, creation is, not a, not a stagnant pond. So uh, one of the things that came out in this, this back-and-forth conversation as we were talking about what it feels like to create something, what's going on inside of you when you're creating something, one of the young people said something I thought was really uh, profound. He said, when we create something, no matter what it is, part of us goes into that. And you could see that from the varied animals that were around the room, that everyone puts something of themselves into it. Of course, their fingers are, are creating that sculpture, but even more than that, um, the, your, your, your DNA, your particular personality, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you see things, all transfers into that clay. And that, therefore, the, the, the clay animal you just created is a direct reflection of you, and it also has some of you in it. So one of the girls created, I, I don't even know what it was, but she, she wanted to point out that the, the two legs on her animal, she noticed, were rather thick. And then she thought, you know, my legs are kind of thick. <laughs> she said, even down to that level, when I created the legs for this animal, I gave this animal my legs. Uh, I, imperceptibly, I wasn't even thinking about it, I just made thicker legs, and I left some of myself in this animal in that way. But it's also left in the the purposes of these animals and and uh, the particular uh, way they were put together and what they can do, what their purpose is, all reflected something of what the creators of each one were like. We invest ourselves in everything we create, no matter what it is. Everything we create has something of our DNA, our particular uniqueness in it. And the same, of course, is also true of Jesus, that when he creates, he leaves himself in that creation. So let's explore the heart of Jesus through the act of creation. We're going to take a, a look here at, uh, at two short accounts of Jesus and his connection to the act of creation. So one of these is from the Gospel of John, we've already read this one, but we're going to read it again. And the other one is from Paul's letters to Paul's letter to the Colossians, and uh, and then we're going to close off with uh, the original Genesis account of the creation of human beings at the very end here. So, uh, the Gospel of John and Paul's letter to the Colossians. The questions I want you to think about as I read first these two is there are two questions: Why would God create everything through Jesus? Why would He do that? And then the second one, if Jesus created everything and gave life to everything, well, what must be true about every created thing? Okay, there you go. So why would God create everything through Jesus? And if Jesus created everything and gave life to everything, what must be true about every created thing? Those are the two questions I want you to think about as I read these two short accounts. The first is from John 1. I've already read it uh, earlier on in the podcast, but um, here you go. Here we go again. Think about the words. We're going to slow down and pay ridiculous attention to this. John, John 1, verses 1 through 5, the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And then jumping to Colossians 1, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. This is Paul's letter to the followers of Jesus in Colossae. Here's how it goes. Verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who would rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So let's take a look at these two questions here. Um, The first one, again, is uh, why would God create everything through Jesus? What is that about? So... um, uh, here's some interesting thoughts that came out of our group discussion the other night as we pursued this, uh, some interesting thoughts about that question. So from an artistic standpoint, um, one, of, uh, one of the groups that I set off in pursuit of these questions, one of the groups said, from an artistic standpoint, um, God's canvas is time, and he needs us to complete his work of art. So God has infinite time, and he is an artist working on a piece of art that we are the raw material for. But unlike the clay that I gave these teenagers that night to work their new, never-before-seen animals into, unlike that clay, we have agency. We have hearts and minds and souls and strength. Um, We are co-participants in this process. We have a will that has to come into play. And so here Jesus is an extraordinary kind of artist who uses as his raw material people like you and me who have agency in our choices and, and as I said before, have, have a heart and mind that we use to express ourselves. And here he's taking us as raw material, so therefore he needs a great deal of time to fashion together this beautiful thing that he's creating that is connected. Um, So we also talked about how creating everything through Jesus implies his connective ability. And I think this is an important distinction here. Jesus, uh, from the dawn of time, uh, part of his role and responsibility is to be the bridge between God and us. He is the living incarnational bridge, so he is fully God and fully man, but that, that's not when he started being the bridge. He has been the bridge for all of time for us. And because he's the bridge, creating everything through him 
then allows us to feel close and intimate to God. Jesus then is the physical, relatable third, uh, second person in the Trinity, the one sent to us to show us exactly what God is like, and that it makes only sense that all of creation, all of the physicalness that we experience in life, would also be created through the one who is the bridge, who is both physical and spiritual and uh, has existed for all time, but he, he exists in this time, at that time, to make for us a bridge to understand and appreciate and be in relationship with God. Another way of saying that is that he is our relational connection to God, and therefore all of creation is funneled through him so that he can leave himself in all of creation and um, add another element of connection for us to God by leaving his character and personality in all of creation, which in Romans 1, that's, that's what Paul tells us he has done, um, that, that he has left for us his bridgeness all around us. That is why everything is created through him, because he is both physical and spiritual. We can touch God because we have Jesus. Uh, this is what Jesus is offering us. So, uh, and then the second question that we were exploring here is, um, if Jesus created everything and gave life to everything, what must be true about every created thing? And I thought this was beautiful. One of our, one of our teenagers was describing how... Um, there is a form of music popular today that embeds underneath it, sort of as a percussive element, the human heartbeat. I, I can't remember what this style of music is called, but yeah, of course they're teenagers and they know things I don't know. But she was describing this form of music where the human heartbeat is embedded in all of the music as a kind of percussive element. And she was thinking about how that heartbeat is embedded within the music and it's always there, even if you can't always see it. And she was thinking about how this second question of if Jesus created and gave life to everything, what must be true about every created thing? Well, every created thing must show a facet of who Jesus is then, no matter what it is, that it must reveal something about his beautiful heart, no matter what it is, that it's embedded like that heartbeat in the music it's there all around us and is crying out to us. And it's not, it's not, sometimes people go down this path into pantheism where they think God is the plants and the animals and all of creation. And that's not what this is talking about. This is simply saying that it, the, that all of his creation, um, like those uh, one of a kind animals that they had just created out of clay, reflects something of who he, who the creator is. They left their DNA, so to speak, in their creation, and in the same way Jesus has done that in all of creation. It's not the creation that we worship, um, it's the creation helps us to, uh, to bridge back to the heart of the one that created it. We know something about the heart of the one that created it. If we study and pay attention to the creation, we can make some inferences, and Jesus is intentional about this because, above all else... He wants to be the bridge that we walk over into uh, reclaimed intimacy with God. In the end, it's this connection, this deep relational connection that he really wants. And so through creation, 
He is building bridges all around us. We're surrounded by them. We see his, his bridge building in every created thing. It's why on Friday nights, when we have a Friday night movie night, four or five times a year in our home, we always watch films that are not about Jesus, and then we talk about Jesus. Because the adventure there is to find the embedded heartbeat of Jesus in every created thing, because he's there in every created thing. You can find redemptive ties to the, the heart and purpose of Jesus and his personality in whatever created thing you're looking at, including every film, no matter whether it's about him or not. It's always the heartbeat underneath underneath there if you just pay attention to it. So, uh, and then lastly, that that the if we know that Jesus gave life to everything and created all things through him, what must be true about every created thing? Well, every created thing then has the same cycle of death to life that he exhibited in life. He knew from the, the time he was born that he was destined to die so that he could rise again into life and give us life. So this cycle of death to life is embedded in all things that he created as a reminder that life is supreme, that, that he came to bring life to us, and life is always uh, the overshadowing presence over darkness. Light pierces the darkness and makes it go away, not the other way around. In fact, darkness is merely the absence of light. That's actually the scientific term for darkness, the absence of light. And when light is not absent and is present, there is no darkness. And this is what Jesus wants us to remember by having all of creation uh, through him, it also embeds what is central in the kingdom of God and to his own person, this cycle of death to life. All right, just to close off here, I thought it'd be interesting to read this little portion from the creation account in Genesis um, that is specifically about when God created human beings. So let's read this from Genesis 1, verses 24 through 27. Then God said, "'Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind.' livestock, small animals that scurry around the, along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So here we have this. I, I, I just want to leave you with this loopy thought. Here we read the creation account of human beings from Genesis, and it, you can't help but recognize that what um, God is saying is, is that his character and his nature are also reflected in us. When we are in community with each other, it's like we're bringing facets of the diamond together to make the, the, the beauty of that diamond more complete. So when we're together, each of us carries with us a facet of the diamond. And when we're together, you, you see the wholeness of that gem coming together. 
What he's saying is, I've I've planted and and painted you and created you in my own likeness. And so if you pay attention to the beauty in one another, you're starting to get a picture communally of the beauty of God. And it's really only when we're all together in communion with each other that we get a sense of the wholeness of his beauty, because he's farmed it out to us. He's created us in that image. So it's a reason why we we need to treat each other with respect. Uh, th- this kind of tracks back to a fundamental thing, because each of us is reflecting back that one unique facet of God's beauty and personality that only that person can carry. And to treat that with respect and even curiosity and pursuit and delight and wonder, that we become like uh, the word that my friend Tom Melton created, appreciados. It means that we're aficionados of appreciation of one another. And we do that because we see a facet of Jesus that we don't have, that someone else does. But then together, we reveal something of his beauty that we could never do if we were only alone. And if you think back to the the clay that I had those young people work with, the only way they could work with that is if it if it stayed soft, right? If it was um, soft enough to work with. Because if you stop working with it and just leave it, it will air dry and eventually become hard. So the point of our creation is that we always want to be in creation. We always want our our good God, to be creating and recreating us, working our clay, we want to stay soft so that he can continue to mold and shape us into what he envisioned in the first place. So what do we do to stay soft? To, say, to stay soft? Uh, I, I think we, we stay humble and dependent and yielding and pursuing and expectant. And uh, as so many people in the Gospels, we fall at his feet, which is another way of saying, um, we, we need you, I love you, uh, I long for you, I'm passionate for you. These are all ways that keep us soft and pliable so that he can continue to make and remake us. Well, gang, thanks for listening. Again, this is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. You can find links to this podcast today on PayingRidiculousAttentionToJesus.com. You're going to be looking for Season 5 episode 11. And uh, by the way, please do subscribe to this podcast so to make sure that you don't miss one. You can subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. And and uh, we'll put a link to our Pigs page. That's a page for people who listen to this podcast and want to be in community with each other and want to go back and forth with each other and post questions and dialogue about some of this. It's an invitation-only Facebook page, so you have to click on the link and ask to be invited on. And uh, We'll get you on there so you can join the conversation. So that's the Pigs page. Go to Season 5, Episode 11 on paying ridiculous attention to Jesus.com and look for that link. Hey, gang, we'll see you again next time.